Hi, everyone. Welcome back for another podcast, another episode of EGOs. My name is Rochelle Kernan, and today I have a really special guest here. His name is Raymond Franson, and he is currently a consulting geologist for Geos. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, how are you doing today, Raymond? Uh, thank, thanks for uh, Rochelle. I'm doing great, as a matter of fact. I'm looking forward to, uh, to the interview and the conversation with you and hopefully uh, something uh, benefiting to everyone in the, in the next 20, 30 minutes when we go through the, the conversation and the talk. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, so just thanks for, for the... the oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm just uh, making you prompt. <laughs> So just so the, the audience knows, uh, Raymond was actually, I worked for Raymond. He was one of my bosses for my time at Shell in Houston. And I really enjoyed working uh, for him and on his team. And we've kept in touch um, ever since I moved on from there. So when we get started uh, today, the first thing I'll ask you, Raymond, is if you could tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up, and if there's something that influenced you when you were growing up. Um, so I'm, I'm from the Netherlands, as you probably can tell from the accent, I'm not from the US. <laughs> and uh, I grew up, in a, I grew up in, a, uh, in, a, in a remote area in the Netherlands, as far as you can get remote in the Netherlands, in, in the southeast, which was a uh, coal mining area. Mm -hmm. And when I was growing up, in a family of uh, two siblings, three siblings, and parents, um, we went through the, I was witnessing the first energy transition without realizing it. So it was a coal mining area, but because of the big uh, discovery of the uh, world-class Slochten gas field in 1959. Mm -hmm. The country was uh, moving from uh, coal power uh, to, to gas power. Mm -hmm. As a consequence, there was an uh, economic uh, impact on the area I was growing up with. That has kind of uh, definitely influenced me. Um, it was uh, an area in, like, like Virginia, I guess, West Virginia, where the coal mines are kind of dying slowly and the economic, uh, economic Collapse is unfolding very slowly in front of your eyes. And um, one of the first decisions I made when uh, leaving high school is never to go back to that area. Mm. Of course, I did. And of course, it's not as bad as it is. And mm -hmm. don't eat the soup as hot as it's being served, if you say Dutch. And uh, so that, that, is, that was definitely one, uh, one driver. And you'll see it throughout my career. I've always been uh, on the move. And the second, uh, the second element which I... Uh, which is important, I think, in my career and the way I live my life is I'm uh, very, very interested and com yeah, committed to science. And I read a lot of history. I'm, I'm basically a skeptic. I want to understand what's around me and and then be able to form my own opinion about it. But it's, uh, I've got a very strong commitment to, to science, science-based approaches, fact-based approach, with very little patience for um, yes. Mm -hmm. Say that, but you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you do. And, um, and of course, I've got and, and kind of a history buff. And what it really does is it gives you a, a larger context for the situation or the position or the, whatever you're looking at. So it's kind of, uh, we, those themes will come back, I think, throughout the conversation. Yeah. But, uh, so, big, science, big on science, uh, big on the... Uh, keep moving and um, bigger understanding the bigger things are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So where did you end up going to school? So you said you wanted to leave. Where did you end up doing your university 
training and what are do your degrees and can you tell us something about okay. your career path? Yeah, yeah. let me be quick on the university because the career path after 31 years at the uh, international oil company is quite extensive. Mm -hmm. so I, um, I, studied, I started with a BSc, a bachelor's uh, in geology in uh, Leiden University in okay. the Netherlands. It was yep. the, oldest, the oldest university in the Netherlands. And it was the furthest away from my, uh, my hometown, so it was by far the, the, the prevalent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then I uh, did my master's and my PhD in Utrecht University. Yep. So I did all three degrees. Uh, structural geology, I'm basically a structural geologist by, by geology training. And my PhD was more towards uh, material science. I did a PhD in material science, rock deformation, mm -hmm. fundamental rock deformation topic. And then, then it's probably interesting in the context of the current uh, crisis uh, in the industry. But I graduated with my MSc in structural geology. Uh, was oil price collapse in 1984? Yeah. Not the last one. Yep. And uh, the 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 lookout for a graduate geologist looked very bleak. Yes. There's only one one employer in the, in the Netherlands, which was Shell, and and no one was hiring in the states. It was very very uh, it's impossible to get a, a real job, a good yeah. job. So uh, that was an opportunity. That's when I turned to uh, to be PhD. So let's let's uh, not despair. And a lot of my friends went into the IT. Was coming up, of course, computing, information technology. But I wanted to stay close to uh, to geology because I do love that mm -hmm. profession. So I decided to uh, to do a PhD and see how um, how situation would be in the market and job market when I got out of my PhD. Mm -hmm. And. It was much better on the other end of my PhD. And then it's how I ended up with uh, Shell in 1989. Okay. And I can briefly briefly talk about um, my career. Sure. You can probably talk for an hour, but I'm not going to do that. So I started out as a research geologist. Okay. In, in, in back in those days, Shell and Exxon and BP, Arco, back in those days, they had huge research outfits. Mm -hmm. It was serious, serious about research. A few percent of the total spend was given on research. We had a board member who was a director of research. We had a much higher profile. And I joined the geology research department as a structural geologist and spent uh, five years looking at fault seals, uh, oh, fractured wow. networks, uh, fractal patterns was uh, all the hit back in those days, uh, permeability of fault gouges, uh, a lot of field studies, core studies. Um, it was really, really interesting. And um, so that satisfied my, uh, my my boffin side of the brain. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I also noted quickly that a research career was not uh, not going to be easy nor very uh, rewarding in terms of uh, job promotions and seeing the world. You were very stuck in a, in a little little box. So then after that, I decided to become a production geologist. Mm -hmm. Started working for uh, uh, Nathan uh, Nam, which is the, the Shell joint venture with Exxon developing the largest gas field, talked about earlier in 1959, Discovery in the Netherlands. And I joined the offshore unit as a production geologist, doing the very basic work, which was really, really good. Best learning school, one of the best learning schools ever. So I was uh, doing, uh, looking at the wells, um, and I was tasked with coordinating the subsurface input for a uh, field development plan of a gas field, a newly discovered gas field of one TCF. 10, 10 or 12 slot platform. And that's when I got in contact with the resident engineers, petroleum engineers, production technologists, economists, 
um, G physicists, of course, and was trying to pull together all the subsurface discipline into a field development plan and wrote eight well proposals. That was very um, formative. Mm -hmm. But it was understood, of course, that the development side of the, um, of the business, we also were able to converse with all these different disciplines, mm -hmm. which came, out, came handy through the rest of my career. So, lesson number one is make sure you see as much as you can early in your career. Mm -hmm. Commit to, to understanding the other disciplines, understand the context, the whole. Then I was transferred uh, to New Orleans as an exploration geologist, a new ventures exploration geologist. Um, in the Gulf of Mexico in 1997, yeah. Okay. And I arrived in New Orleans, my wife joined me in New Orleans, but all, uh, our son is born in New Orleans, and uh, we stayed for five years, till 2002, working in the Gulf of Mexico, new lease sale, well, you know, most people understand uh, the Gulf of Mexico geology. It was the first 3D sightings were being shot and made available, so it was really exciting, it was like being man on the moon. Yeah. It was see the 3D structures of uh, parts of the, the salt flanks and salt domes and the mini basins. It was an exciting time, a really exciting time. Yeah. Um, but I, I was part of this, um, the Gulf of Mexico team in, in Shell was quite big, like 80, 85 people, and drilling only exposed to operations was very limited because there's so few wells, so many people. And I had the opportunity and I decided I was looking for a job in Shell with much more operational input. Because I don't know the technical side, the discipline side, so I wanted to do some more operations, deliver wells, have a discovery branch in it. Because an explorer, but then drill the well with discovery. How can that be? Mm -hmm. It didn't feel right. Yeah. So I was looking for a job and I found a job in Egypt. In 2002, we moved the family and everybody to Cairo. And I worked at a joint venture between Shell and the a state oil company, EGPC, being an exploration team in the Western Desert. I had a rig at uh, 24 rig months and uh, a new 3D uh, first time and, and was supposed to drill discoveries. Mm -hmm. um, so the, for, uh, for your understanding, the outfit, the joint venture is, uh, is heavily understaffed with uh, expert people, overstaffed with civil servants. <laughs> That's a structure because it's kind of a way to uh, employ local Egyptians. Um, so there was, uh, I was writing well proposals, uh, there was only one well engineer, every, every contact, all, one reservoir engineer, one production technologist, every contact, every discussion was one-to-one, face-to-face, there's no one for me to back, for, back, for back onto, which is really good because now you have to make decisions, work with other people, get information, get to a point where you can move forward or whatever decision may be at hand. Uh, and the drill and did my first discovery, which I will never forget. Mm -hmm. 35 feet of uh, uh, 35 API oil, beautiful, beautiful reservoir. Yeah. There were a few more wells, a few more discoveries, uh, very happy about mm -hmm. it. And um, a lot of operations, drilled horizontal, but also the production seismologists at the same time, because it wasn't a production seismologist in development. So a lot of uh, going back and forth, very intense, but uh, very uh, worthwhile yeah. career. Then I moved to Malaysia. Okay. Uh, on the island of Borneo mm -hmm. in 2006. And it was the, what's called the principal regional geologist, looking after the whole northwestern um, shelf of the north of Borneo. Uh, deep gas player looking into um, trying to, to understand, because of the, the boundary 
between Brunei and Malaysia, which is, Brunei is just in the middle of, the, of our licenses, uh, they, you're not allowed to tra transfer data or knowledge back and forth. So you have to, uh, to manage that all through, uh, through other channels. Mm -hmm. And uh, shortly after that, I became the called expression consultant, responsible for the technical integrity of all work done in North Borneo and the Philippines. Um, it's like a research expression geologist and call the cells, assigning all the volume, risking, making sure that the technology plan is uh, up to specs, uh, training schedules, uh, like a chief geologist, sure. a chief geologist. Till 2010, uh, traveled to a lot of places in Asia. Uh, and for the meantime, by that time, I had a significant, great appreciation for different cultures, yeah. how to work with people from different backgrounds, as you can mm -hmm. imagine, how to make things work when you think you can't. Um, also appreciate uh, you know, and respect the culture you're, you're, you're visiting. Yeah. Seeing the world from a, like say, minority position as mm -hmm. opposed to a um, majority position. It's really very, very worthwhile. Yeah. It makes you very, very agile and versatile. Mm -hmm. And you have learned to work with the civil servant organizations, governments, which are extremely slow and have different drivers, right? We don't have a profit principle. They have a, a principle of maximizing cost for the operator, so they don't they can return it back through um, a PSC agreements. Yeah. Uh, then I went to Dubai. Oh, it's not too much time, right? Mm -hmm. Dubai was uh, again chief geologist, or chief uh, geoscientist for the Middle East and North Africa, which was a huge area. Mm -hmm. that, uh, when I arrived, we had like twelve operating units in eight different countries, wow. from Libya to Pakistan and. Uh, just left Yemen, Saudi, Turkey, Qatar, Emirates, traveled uh, 180 days a year, a lot. And was again signing off, making sure the, um, the volume risking was done properly, that opportunity managing uh, also the shareholder representative of Saudi Aramco, or JV Venture in Saudi Arabia. So again, uh, tremendous exposure to cultural um, diversity. And it was all in the time of the Arab Springs. So I've seen three evacuations, one in Bahrain, one in Egypt, and one in Libya. Um, it was a fascinating time, totally fascinating. And we also appreciate how one-sided uh, Western press was representing the views and the happenings and the events in the Middle East, being in the Middle East. Petroleum systems was paradise. The world's largest petroleum systems, and they're truly, 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 truly astounding. Mm -hmm. And being, uh, and being able to work on those and try to understand them a little bit, how they work, is and that enormously monotonous Arabian shell is just dipping, dipping to the north northeast and a few bumps, the bumps are humongous. Yeah. Under yeah. the world class falls from, it's just, Jesus, never happens again. <laughs> yeah, this, totally. <laughs> and at the same time, I'm working in Egypt and looking at in the Western Desert at like two million barrel discoveries, which wow. you hook up wow. and... So it's the whole diversity of scale. We had new ventures in Turkey and new bases with, which is with zero wells. Uh, didn't go down too well, to be honest. So it was um, Kurdistan was opening up. That was a really interesting, beautiful petroleum system. Northern Iran petroleum system extends through Iraq into Kurdistan, northern Iraq, trying to get a, a position there. It was exciting, very dynamic. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in 2013, I came to, to Houston to work with, uh, with Eurochelle mm -hmm. and we got Mexico team. Uh, Myosin team lead, running the, you know, everything basically. In, in the Myosin play, 
Alice Leesail, uh, handovers, operations, managing people. Uh, yeah, it's a fantastic time. Again, quite a few discoveries. Uh, all very successful, I must say. A great team. Mm -hmm. Enormous. Uh, what I also learned over, during the course of the, his international career is the, the different levels of expertise and skills. And in the US and also in the Netherlands, we are blessed with extreme high levels of technical competence, the latest tools with uh, an overabundance of people relative to what you see in, in for example, the Middle East or in, in the Far East, where uh, skills levels are much lower, the budgets are much smaller, the tools are poorer. And, and of course, that impacts the way people perform. Yeah. And seeing that, or people underperform in the case of the US, you know, so people have all the opportunities and still didn't make use of it, but all of them. Um, so it was kind of, again, it's kind of, it was very interesting. Go back, I love it. Great cloning system, beautiful geology. We finally can see the almost turned flanks now. It's uh, fascinating. I did it till 2018, and then it was uh, called into. Uh, to look at uh, the workflows and the volume of risking and of uh, shell exploration, the global exploration group, and uh, come up with a better system than the very, very cumbersome system that had evolved out of the so-called five-step process, where you do project management go to five steps of um, identification, appraisal, assessment, execution, operation. And it became a big mess. It was, a, uh, I think, in all of the industry, there was a inflation of skills and an over uh, valuation of process. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we replaced to some extent, I mean, to a large extent, understanding, insight, and comprehension with uh, meeting process requirements, whether they were needed for the project or not. So it's kind of the switching of your brain. Mm -hmm. and that frustrated me like a lot. Yeah. As you probably remember, <laughs> we had quite a, quite a few discussions and meetings about that. Yep. And yep. Uh, so, uh, so we came up with a, with a different system which puts the owners on, uh, on the project team, which, uh, which has no steps. Uh, project teams are uh, fully at, at liberty to manage the projects and they are fully accountable at the same time. So that's a, that's a deal. In the, in the old system, where there's a lot of process and a lot of sign-offs with various parties and sometimes like 30 people in the meeting signing off avoiding the risk of 5 million barrels. Yeah. Because you have so many people involved, there's very, very diffuse accountability. Mm -hmm. And then really, no one's really in charge, and projects are, are very poorly managed. Right? Mm -hmm. And then, in uh, for two years, uh, applied for a green card. We want to stay here in the US, enjoy the being in the capital, the energy capital of the world, mm -hmm. being in Texas. And I uh, thought it was a lot of opportunity here. Yeah, so, we applied for a green card and, and left Shell last year, and now we started a company which focuses on, uh, supports uh, energy companies in navigating the, the energy transition, because it's a, yeah, the, the doorstep of a, of a new era for the industry. Mm -hmm. So being part of that is, uh, is also very exciting. Yeah. I think, was that enough? For, oh, for yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. It's, I love it. It's like uh, your, your career path has been like a, a world tour several times yeah. around. <laughs> yes, indeed. I've been very, very uh, blessed and fortunate to be able to, to do this. Yeah, it's, it's really inspiring. And I, I really like what you said about um, living somewhere else that you're not necessarily familiar with or accustomed to, yeah. how you grow like your agility and 
you're very adaptable to social situations. I mean, I've experienced that even just living in different places around the U.S. Um, yeah, definitely. And I, it, it's your. I guess it's like your brain just starts functioning a little bit different, and you enjoy the differences. And I, sometimes I, I'm almost tempted to say I, I enjoy like the hardships, if you will. It's like the cultural differences and the hardships. It's like fascinating to me rather yeah. than a burden or something like that. You you really learn how to think positively about situations. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one thing I'm definitely passionate about. So, um, kind of ending off on where you were going with now that you're moving into an energy transition consultant, how do you see the world developing as we come out of this post COVID era era and going into maybe the next five or 10 years? Do you have any, um, predictions or or what would you like to see ideally (laughs) (laughs) two different things probably yeah yeah no no they don't have any predictions and it would be uh would be folly to uh, to try to predict uh Mm. to the cicadas and they also wrong but i think a couple of things we can we can see happening there's no point in dismissing the energy transition is happening yeah i think that's one we need to accept it Mm -hmm. uh, and potentially embrace it and um, and so I have a twenty-year-old son, um, and, and he's he's been with us, traveling all over the world. He's seen what we've seen, experienced, but from his perspective, and being in the in the position to uh, to leave a better place behind for him to enjoy, for him with his children, yeah, is uh, is definitely one of the the, the drivers for him and passionate about this. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I've been on the other side of the equation. I've been discovering oil. I've been producing through all my discoveries. I've been producing hundreds of millions of barrels. So I've been adding to that side of the equation. And now it's probably given these transitions. It's, it's time to to use my skills. And then I want to do that. I want to understand it. Use my skills to uh, to help the crisis we've all up meeting. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one. The second one is, um, and that's a, a general. It's generally true, but. So no one knows what the future looks like. You see different companies going in different directions. Yeah. But one, one group of companies sticks to the netting, so to speak. They think there's another uh, 40, 50 years of oil production and demand ahead, and they want to produce more hydrocarbons, which, which is not, not judging that at all. So those companies, and, and then that's where your critical thinking comes in, where you as, a, as an individual, as an employee, or as a prospect um, Job seeker, if you think about it, that, that company will most likely um, focus on, on cost reduction, and most likely focus on performance and efficiency. Mm-hmm. That company will, will, will have to return money back to shareholders. So they, they may not necessarily growth focused, they may be cash flow focused. And those are things you really put in your mind and you think, what kind of company do I want to work for? Because mm-hmm. once you apply for a job and then find out that this is the kind of company I want to work for, that's too 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 late. Mm-hmm. Those are questions you can ask yourself. The one group, Exxon, Chevron, just stick to the netting. We've done this. Saudi Aramco, we're going to do this for another 40, 50 years. We're going to get uh, dividend back to the shareholders and nothing really happened. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to talk about any moral implications. You can leave it to yourself. The other side, the other extreme is what... Uh, um, for example, happened in Norway with the, 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 more, the Danish, Danish oil and gas company, Dome. Mm-hmm. They went from 
um, oil and gas company completely agreed. Mm -hmm. They they divested all their traditional, conventional oil and gas assets, and now uh, one of the biggest, Ørsted, one of the biggest wind farm operators. Mm -hmm. uh, extremely successful. Stock price through the roof. So in terms of um, financial reward, you're probably better off, you were better off the last five years with, with Ørsted than with Exxon. Mm -hmm. That's, and um, of course, what that country will have is very, is very clarity of purpose. They know what they want to do, they're going to deliver that. And if that's what you want to contribute to, that's the place you can be. Yeah. And then you have the, the, the fence setters. They want to maximize have and uh, grow in the new, grow new opportunities. Think of BP, Exxon, BP, Shell, Total, Oxy. Mm -hmm. That's an um, ambivalent position. So they, the story, of course, is being told as we're going to pay the energy transition through the revenues we get from oil and gas operations, so we need to operate more oil and gas. And what you can see in those companies, and I've experienced it, and my remember experiencing it, is that there is this ambivalence, this ambiguity. They speak in two, two directions. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that is extremely confusing for shareholders, because do they, should they expect a future-proof company which can operate in a carbon-zero energy system, or are they going to get a lot of net dividends? And also your career path will be volatile, will be subject to these forces. That's something you want to think about. Yeah. Um, and whichever way it's going to go, I don't know. A couple of companies will just not make it to the end. Yeah. That's what fails, right? Uh, the demand for oil and gas is decreasing and will decrease in 2050 in any, any scenario. Mm -hmm. There's still a lot of um, hydrocarbons left untapped in low-cost countries with very low carbon footprint. So, that the demand is decreasing and the competition is increasing. And then the, the last thing I want to think about is uh, to, to the, the world for us has become more complex, right? When I started off, the only thing I needed to do was find oil and basically it. I didn't need to worry and, and my management would think, well, next year oil price is going to be higher. If not, next year is going to be two years. The demand is going to increase forever. And we're going to be leaving oil forever. That was a very simple business model. And uh, you didn't need to worry too much about anything else, really, if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. and of course, now with these, with these possible scenarios, quite a few scenarios, and, and seeing how the, the scenarios emerge, the, the understanding of the context becomes much more important. Yep. So you need to be able, as a participant in the industry, if you want to keep your job or make it, progression career, you need to be able to understand the context, uh, think through some scenarios yourself, don't, don't, don't parrot what your boss says or your company, just go through it yourself, try to understand what people don't agree with think, they think what they think, mm -hmm. and, uh, and try to make the best choices, because yeah. the, the choices you will have to make anyway. Yeah. Was that what you're looking for? Yeah. No, it was, it was great. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, yeah, I think people are really going to have to give some thought about which career path. Because I, I almost see this like there's going to be these phases of specific technologies or specific types of energies. And, you know, it'll go through this phase of uh, exploration like, oh, does this work? And it might work some places, it might not work any places. And then all of a sudden it'll be the new next thing. And it just seems like that's yeah, going to yeah. be happening 
more frequent than before. Like that stability of the same resource is going to go away. Like we've always relied on that singular resource mostly um, for transportation purposes and whatnot, industrial activity. And now it's almost like that resource is going to be changing. So how to keep yourself relevant, I think is like the really big challenge for people like us going forward. It's, it's a little yeah. daunting. Yeah. Yeah. And and you can only keep yourself relevant if you understand the game you you are in. Yeah. The game, the game you're playing. Yeah. And, and, and but if you don't if you don't if you don't do that, you, you will be very very poor position to judge whether a particular uh, job opportunity is, is suitable for you. And one of the worst things that can happen to you is take a job and then not enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Or not being excelling at it, or not being able to excel at it because you don't fit in the goal shop, or you don't fit in, um, don't agree of support to unscribe the purpose the company is pursuing. Yeah. And, and then you lose valuable time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All things to consider. So, would you say <laughs> that you um, have you already lived your dream job or your dream role, or is it? Now that you're consulting and working, <laughs> you're your own boss. Is is this your dream job or dream role? <laughs> Has it changed through time? Um, that's changed through time, definitely. Yeah. When I when I left university, I thought my dream job would be to be a researcher. Mm-hmm. And I was a researcher, and I thought my dream job would be uh, an development manager, an exploration manager. So that changes, and it's an ambition. That's good. Yeah. But you also learn. Yeah. And, and of course. Uh, Situation, circumstances change as well, and if you, unless your dream job is something outside you, or the realm of the industry, you might be able to to keep it. But I, um, I, I think part of having a, being enjoying a dream job is being true to yourself. Yeah. Does the job, uh, does the job agree with what you want to do? Does, do you spend your ten hours a day on things you want to spend your time on? Mm-hmm. If there's a, a little bit of a gap between what you're doing, what you really want to be doing, your dream job is going to be very quickly something else. Yeah. That's, that's something, that's why I keep hammering on that, uh, that last understanding. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and any any dream job should be an opportunity to learn and develop, right? Yeah. That's the biggest satisfaction you can have. Yeah. So and how you, is it going to give back to you? It's not just yeah. you giving out, it's also the return. Yeah, no, that's Correct. really good. Right. Um, and then our last question for today. Do you have um, any personal uh, things that you do to maintain your happiness and success? You're a runner, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. that you run. Yeah, <laughs> do you do know. anything else uh, besides that? Um, it can be anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, intellectually speaking, I guess, um, I think you need to nurture your curiosity. Yeah. Always be curious and and then uh, try to satisfy your curiosity, and then go on to the next thing. Uh, keep learning. Uh, true to yourself. Uh, I do for physically as need, as you mentioned, running, uh, hiking, traveling. Mm-hmm. Once COVID is over, photography. I like photography. So my artistic expressions, those are not very well defined, but I do like the technical side of the taking photos, mm-hmm. um, travel, I said, reading, reading. Yeah. Also, read a lot of a ferocious reader, I would say, and news reader, anything. Um, so there's not an, not enough data you can put in your head. Just keep stuffing that in your, your, your 
brain and eventually <laughs> it will come out and be useful. Yeah, I totally Although, agree. Uh, it's there. Um, <laughs> yeah, and enjoy your family, yeah, definitely, right? Be happy with your family and uh, uh, in general, be well and do good. Mm-hmm. And all things will, will be okay. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Raymond, for talking with me today. It was really nice to catch up and special thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Thank Um, you. Yeah. I hope you take care and um, look forward to seeing you again soon. Was it good?